The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. First Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. The Word of God tells us this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let's pray. Lord, we we come before your word with, with a sense of holy reverence, as always, recognizing that the words that we see on the page and the words that we've just read out loud are not the words of men, but they are the words of God. They're not suggestions that you have given us for uh, help in having a better life. They are commands from our Creator that must be obeyed. And so this morning, Lord, as we look to your word, we pray that you would help us, Lord, not to skim over this short and simple passage, but that we would consider it in light of our own lives in light of what you've called us to be, and in light of the kind of testimony you've called us to model for a world around us that's lost and dying and destined for an eternity in hell. Help us this morning to see ourselves as we truly are, as we look into the mirror of your word. Lord, whatever adjustments need to be made, Lord, give us the humility, Lord, to admit them, and give us a desire to run to you through your son, Jesus find help and transformation. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for providing for all of our needs. We thank you for the abundance with which you have blessed each and every one of us individually, our families, our church. And we come before your word this morning and with eager anticipation and with genuine hearts filled with gratitude. Gratitude that we're able to gather gratitude that we're able to proclaim your word openly, gratitude that we're able to hear it and think about it and pray through it and talk through it together this morning. All true blessings from you, for which we give thanks in Christ's holy name. Amen. In 1623, William Bradford, maybe you heard of him if you took a history class at some point in American history, the governor of Plymouth Colony declared the following words in writing. He said, Inasmuch as the Great Father has given us this year an abundant harvest of Indian corn, wheat, beans, squashes, and garden vegetables, and has made the forests to abound with game and the seas with fish and clams, And inasmuch as he has protected us from the ravages of savages, has spared us from pestilence and disease, has granted us freedom to worship God according to the dictates of our own conscience, now I, your magistrate, do proclaim that all ye pilgrims with your wives and little ones do gather at ye meeting house on ye hill between the hours of nine and twelve in the daytime on Thursday, November 29th, the year of our Lord, 1,623, 
and the third year since you pilgrims landed on Pilgrim Rock, there to listen to you, Pastor, and to render thanksgiving to Almighty God for all his blessings. I can't imagine what it must have been like to have been on that first voyage that crossed the Atlantic and landed at, Pil at Plymouth. What it must have been like to have watched along the way so many of your fellow companions die, literally die on the voyage that was hard and difficult and painful and a struggle from start to finish. To land on the shores of a land that you don't know that's unfamiliar with challenges that you uh, are expecting but don't know the full nature of with really only a, a small group of people uh, left from what you had anticipated. No, nobody there to prepare food for you, nobody there to provide lodging for you, nobody there to provide you with a hospital and health care and all of the things you need to sustain your life. All of that is going to be dependent uh, upon the work of your hands and the blessing of Almighty God. These folks faced challenges. There was hardship and there was pain and there was difficulty. But if you had gone to them, I'm, I'm convinced, and, and uh, called them uh, people who were anything less than blessed beyond measure, you probably would have gotten thrown into prison. They were a people who understood hardship and pain and difficulty, but they were a people who were immensely grateful. And it showed up in a lot of ways, but it showed up uh, in, in particular here in what, what, what was declared for November the 29th. 1623 there was a realization in their hearts that that they were a, that they were a blessed people in spite of hardship and pain and difficulty that God had tremendously blessed them and because of what God had done for them they owed him thanksgiving and so they set aside some time intentionally as a people to offer thanks to God for all of his blessings just as a side note, you'll notice that he sent them to church for Thanksgiving for, to listen to their pastor for three hours. So uh, I'm going to spare you that this morning. I thought at first we'd just try to be as authentic to the real Thanksgiving as possible, and I would preach for three hours, but I was convinced that uh, you wouldn't stay for that long. So uh, we won't do that. But our early pilgrim forefathers did. The days in which you and I live are, are, are challenging. We've been talking about this for weeks as we walk through this, as this series we did on Revelation and the early chapters and the letters to the church as we've been thinking through how 2020 has been a hard year for everybody and particularly, I think, for, uh, for, for people who are conscientious believers to try and sort through what's happening around us, what's going on in the world, and what is our role as far as how we respond to the circumstances around us. There's been COVID-19 and all the things associated with that, the 2020 election season, which still continues to drag on and on and on with no answers in sight. All of these things, along with others, have created all sorts of anxieties and, and fears and uncertainty in people. There's outrage and there's anger and there's hostility and there's grief and there's fear. And there's a swirl of emotions that really is bubbling up to the surface all throughout our culture. And you see it if you're paying any attention at all to what's happening around you. 
But as Christians, we're called not to be like the world around us. God has called us to a higher calling. He, he's called us to, to rise above sort of our natural fleshly responses to the circumstances of our life. And we're called to be in the midst of every circumstance Christ-like. We're to model Christ for the world to see. We're to, we're to model a different kind of response than the, what the world around us models. And as I've said many times in recent weeks, I believe this year and this season has provided for us as American Christians a tremendous, tremendous opportunity to stand out from the world, to show the world what a difference the transformation of Christ makes when he transforms the human heart, to show the world the power of Christ to change us and to make us different to give us a new grid through which we evaluate life and circumstances and the things around us and a new power within us to respond in a way that is wholesome and healthy and different from the sinful responses of the world around us. And I've told you, I'm convinced that that if we as believers model Christ-likeness to the world in the midst of all the uncertainty, people notice. People notice. And they'll wonder, what in the world it is that you've got that's different? than what they're seeing all around them. We've been talking about that for weeks, but I'm convinced this morning as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, that this very simple text lays out for us uh, a key truth that contains for us a reality that there is no better way to live out Christ's likeness in, in, against the backdrop of what's happening around us than in the thing that we're called to do in this very, very simple text. It's a text that's very simple in what it communicates, but it is very challenging in its application. In fact, I would say it's impossible to live out in its application apart from God's help. We can't do it in our own strength. We haven't been studying 1 Corinthians chapter 5, or or excuse me, I keep saying 1 Corinthians, but I hope you're in 1 Thessalonians. Don't turn to Corinthians. We'll talk about Corinthians later, but not now. Stay in Thessalonians regardless of what I say. We haven't been studying Paul's letters at all. We've been studying John's writing. But just in general, what what is happening here at the end of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is Paul is giving this church to whom he's writing this letter some final thoughts, some final instructions. He's sort of wrapping up and putting a bow on everything he said in the letter. And he uh, sort of gives it to them in some sort of bullet point fashion here of some things that they need to remember as parting words of, of wisdom and parting challenges, parting commands, if you will. And in our text, he gives them three, really, commands that are, that are really concise and sort of in a boom, boom, boom fashion. He tells them that they're to be a people who are rejoicing always. There are people to, that are to be praying without ceasing. And there are people who are giving thanks in all circumstances. Uh, and so God's people are to be characterized by these things, these three things. Whatever goes on around them, whatever's happening in the culture, whatever's happening to them, there are three things that, that, that the people who are a part of the church at Thessalonica and the people who are a part of the church here today, right now, need to be modeling for the world around us. And, and he says that, that God's people are to be a, a rejoicing people. They're to be a people who model joy for the world. They're not to be people who are down in the dumps all the time. They're not to be people who are moping around in misery all the time. They're to be people who are rejoicing, who are, are filled with joy, whose joy is not anchored in the, the circumstances that are happening around them, but whose joy is anchored in their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, which becomes an anchor for their joy that sustains it throughout whatever circumstances come their way. God's people are to be a rejoicing kind of a people. 
And he also says that God's people are to be really a people of prayer. They're to be a people who are marked out by, by praying regularly. That they're to pray not just as a, as a habit of religion, but they're to be a people who are prayerful in all that they do. That is, a sense, that is to say that they're to, to live their lives with a, a Godward sort of a focus. They're to, to live their lives in view of the fact that God is with them and that he's actively engaged in their lives. And there should be this sort of communication that's happening between them and their God throughout life as things come. Talking to him about what's happening, laying out their concerns and their requests, pouring before them the things that are a burden on their heart, seeking his provision in the things where they need things. There to be a people who are, are prayerful. There to be a people who pray and a people who rejoice. But for our purposes this morning, I really want us to just focus in on that third command there because it's germane to where we find ourselves this week as a nation uh, preparing to celebrate uh, the Thanksgiving holidays. In the midst of telling them to be a, a joyful people and reminding them to be a prayerful people, he commands them to be a people who are giving thanks in all circumstances. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. God's people are to be set apart from the world by being noted as people who are grateful, who make a point in their lives to regularly give thanks. In fact, He's going to argue, well, he doesn't argue, but all throughout the scripture it's argued that, that one of the marks of the regenerate people, one of the marks of saving faith is gratitude and a life that is lived that overflows with gratitude, that, that is regularly giving thanks to God for his blessing and for his care and for his provision in our lives. God's people are to be grateful people who practice regularly thanksgiving. This command is taught really all throughout the Bible. We could spend our entire time, the first hour of our three hours this morning, just tracing all throughout the Bible every command to give thanks. Uh, but I'll give you just sort of a sprinkling of that just to sort of set the tone. Back in 1 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 8, all the way in the back of the Old Testament, we, we see this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds. Early in, the, in, the, in the, the word of God where we're called to be reminded that God has done remarkable things, that he has done phenomenal things in the world, and, and we're to give thanks to him for what he's done, and we're to make those things known to the world so that the world in turn may give thanks to the God who has done these marvelous things. Make known his deeds as we give thanks to him for what he's done. Psalm 97 verse 12, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. All throughout the Psalms, we're called to give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Read through the Psalms and you see it over and over and over and over. We're to give thanks to him in prayer. We're to give thanks to him in song. We're to give thanks to him in a multitude of different ways. But our lives are to overflow with gratitude and thanksgiving to the Lord. It's a call, it's a responsibility, it's a command. As we get to the New Testament, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul writes, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
He says to the, to the believers in Philippi, you've got some things going on in your life. You've got some troubles that are, have come your way. Life has, has brought to you circumstances that have created anxiety. Well, listen, don't let anxiety take root in your heart. Turn to God in prayer and intentionally cultivate gratitude. And out of a, a gratitude-filled prayer life, let your requests be made known to God. You're God's people. You're to be people who are grateful and thankful. To the church at Colossae in verse uh, 6 of chapter 2, he writes, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. He tells those believers in Colossae at that church, he says, listen, your spiritual growth is all tied up with this issue of gratitude. One sign that we are rooted in Christ and we're being built up with him and be built up in him is that our lives overflow with thanksgiving. That thanksgiving just flows out of us. In chapter 3 of that same letter, he writes, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be thankful verse 17 and whatever you do in word or deed do it all in the name of Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him let peace rule in your hearts and as the peace of God rules in your hearts be thankful whatever you do whatever you're doing whether it's your work or your play or your hobby or you're going to church or you're milling about or you're just doing family life together with those you love whatever you're doing whatever you do do it in the name of the Lord Jesus and do it with a in sort of a uh, a marinating sauce of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Ephesians chapter 5, he writes to the church at Ephesus, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. He tells the believers at Ephesus, wash your mouth. Watch the words that are coming out of your mouth. <clears throat> You're people who are prone to foolish talk and, and to crude jokes and, and, and filthiness that is coming out of your, your mouths. You need to shut all that down and you need to replace it with something. Replace it with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. That's well, just a sampling. We could go on and on. <clears throat> but the flip side of that is true as well in the scriptures that ingratitude is a clear mark of an unregenerate heart. That, that ingratitude as a practice in a life is a mark that a person does not belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 1, verse 21, in Romans chapter 1, Paul is sort of exposing the sinful heart of the world, and he says this, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. They became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And he goes on to list the whole litany of sins that flows out of a heart that knows God but doesn't honor him as God and refuses to give thanks to him. It's a sad portrait if you read through it. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, he talks about the last days, the, the days toward the end of time. And he says this, but understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, and unholy. Writing a whole list of, of rotten sins that are going to mark people in the last days is 
ingratitude. And so as we sort of get this quick overview at the beginning, we understand that God's word calls God's people to be grateful. He calls us to live lives that are marked with thanksgiving. And he reminds us that that's a mark of saving faith and that when it's lacking in our lives that we need to do a real clear evaluation because ingratitude is a mark of people who don't belong to Christ but belong to the world. And so it's an important issue. It's an important spiritual issue for God's people to consider. And what's truly remarkable is we live in a nation where the nation has set aside a holiday every year to help us with this, right? Every year, we're reminded in November of the importance of giving thanks. We get time off of work. Most people do, at least. Time to enjoy a wonderful meal, I trust, with your family and with friends and people that you love. All of that is, is a, a sort of a, a national pause to the give and take of life, to pause and give thanks. Give thanks. Even the broader culture around us understands the value of gratitude in general. I read a number of articles this week. I don't have time to share them all with you, but one that stood out to me that I thought I would, that would just provoke my thoughts was this, this article by someone called Amy Morin, and the title of the article is this, Seven Scientifically Proven Benefits of Gratitude That Will Motivate You to Give Thanks Year-Round. <clears throat> and she lists in this, in this lengthy, uh, or somewhat lengthy article, just sort of bullet points of, of the benefits of gratitude. Listen to some of these. She says, gratitude opens the door to more relationships. She says, gratitude improves physical health. Listen to this. Grateful people experience fewer aches and pains, and they report feeling healthier than other people. You feeling achy and painy this morning? You feeling that way? I wonder if it's because you lack gratitude. That was a 2012 study. It's published in an article in a, in a publication called Personality and Individual Differences. It's fascinating. Fewer aches and pains and feeling healthier than other people. She goes on to say gratitude improves psychological health. Gratitude reduces a multitude of toxic emotions ranging from envy and resentment to frustration and anger. Scientific studies have shown that increases that, that, that gratitude increases happiness and it reduces depression. I didn't know about this, but in, she also says grateful people sleep better. I don't sleep very well, so I need to reevaluate this part of my life. Maybe I'm ungrateful. In a 2011 study published in Applied Psychology, Health and Well-Being, uh, the the, the Uh, Those who studied it came out with this conclusion that if you spend just 15 minutes jotting down a few grateful sentiments before bed, you sleep better and longer. Who knew? Who knew that gratitude could simply help us sleep? Gratitude improves self-esteem, she said. It reduces social comparisons. Grateful people are able to appreciate other people's accomplishments. And finally, she says, gratitude increases mental strength. They did a study and they found that Vietnam War veterans with higher levels of gratitude experienced lower rates of post-traumatic stress disorder. Fascinating. The gratitude is linked to all sorts of things. 
And the world is able to see this. The world that has no really sort of vision for Christ or no sort of platform that's, that's Godward from which they're thinking or, or evaluating is looking and, and realizing that, that there's something to this gratitude. There's something to Thanksgiving that it helps people. It benefits people in an awful lot of ways. But what the broader culture misses is this. They miss the proper object of Thanksgiving and they miss the timing of Thanksgiving. Two things that they miss that God's word makes clear. The proper object, object of all Thanksgiving is God, is Almighty God. It's what William Bradford understood at the beginning, that we're to stop and pause and give thanks, not thanks in general. We don't, we don't celebrate gratitude for the sake of gratitude. We don't celebrate Thanksgiving as an end. We, our Thanksgiving is directed toward an object, and that object is Almighty God. Our, 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 our gratitude is to someone. It's not gratitude in general. And when you start thinking about how many people celebrate this time of year in our culture, they celebrate it with no Godward sort of uh, a vision at all. It's just a time to give thanks in general, for things in general. But our early church, I mean our early national fathers understood that that wasn't what Thanksgiving was to be about. It was, there was a proper object of our gratitude. And that object is God, the one who gives us all things. You know, you can do a fun, fun little uh, thing for yourself. Maybe you'll find it fun. I did. Maybe you won't. You'll think I'm crazy. But you can go back and read. Every year there's a presidential proclamation at Thanksgiving. And you can go back and you can find them all from, from our very first president to the current president. And you can read the presidential proclamation of Thanksgiving. And you can see, at least from whatever president is, is in office at, at any particular moment, their understanding of what this holiday is about. And if you go back and you read early presidents, Washington, Lincoln, and others along the way, you'll get a very clear sense that these presidents had a very clear understanding uh, where their blessings came from and to whom thanks was due. It was due to Almighty God. But you, you, you trek all the way down to like 2016, and you see the presidential proclamation, and you'll read through it, and you'll find almost no mention of God whatsoever. You'll find some general comments about faith. You'll find that, or you'll find a, uh, a paragraph that, that explains to us that what was going on uh, when, when the uh, pilgrims landed and Governor Bradford was there, that they were celebrating uh, with grateful hearts the Native Americans who had provided them with food and so forth. But you'll find no mention of God. And you'll see how far as a nation, and that's not to pick on a president. It's not that that president himself was, is the spawn of Satan or something. My point is just to, to show you that if you read through all those presidential proclamations, you'll find a slide that takes place in the culture in, in, in light of what we understand Thanksgiving to be. That we began with a real sense that there was a proper object of giving thanks, and that object was, was God, and now we've slid into some sort of a celebration of gratitude in general. But the Word of God calls us to gratitude, not in general, but gratitude to God. And it calls us to give thanks to God in all circumstances. And that's, again, again where, where we differ from the world, where the call of Christ on the believer's life is different from the world. The world gives thanks. The world gives gratitude. The world models that in various ways, shapes, or forms. Normally, the world gives thanks when things are going well. People are, it's easy to give thanks when things are going well. It's easy to give thanks when somebody does something nice to you or for you, and everything is moving along. 
But when life goes bad, when there's pain, when there's loss, when there's grief, when there's fear, when, when there's some offense that's taken place or someone has sinned against you, that's where, the, that's, where, that's where believers veer off the path from the lost world around us. The world around us says when those things happen, it's perfectly legitimate to be filled with anger and to be filled with bitterness and to get revenge and retaliation. But the Word of God calls the believer to give thanks in all circumstances. In all circumstances. There are times and seasons in your life and mine when that's easy, right? And there are times and seasons in your life and mine when that's hard. When it's hard to obey Christ by giving thanks. What about when circumstances in our life aren't good? What about when life is hard? What about when our health goes south? What happens then? What about when relationships fall apart that were dear to us? What about when financial disaster strikes? What about when we have to bury somebody that we love far too early? What about when life brings disappointment and pain and failure and hardship? about those circumstances God's word says give thanks in all circumstances in all circumstances it's a simple command to understand it's a hard command to live does it come easy to you to give thanks in all circumstances does it come easy to you when life is hard and things haven't turned out the way that you wished or wanted is it easy for you in those moments to give thanks it's not easy for me. In fact, it requires intentional effort. But the Word of God says God's people are to be marked by gratitude. We're to be people who give thanks in all circumstances. Now, you'll notice that Paul doesn't say here that we're to give thanks for all circumstances. He doesn't call God's people, you and me, and every other believer in the history of the world, to give thanks for every circumstance. He's not telling us to give thanks for hurtful and evil events that happen to us. He's not telling us to pretend like we don't feel pain and to pretend like we don't feel grief and to sort of gin up some sort of a false gratitude when others sin against us. That's not the issue here. He's saying we're to give thanks in all circumstances. The Greek is in ponti. It means in connection with everything that comes along in life. It's not that we give thanks for everything that happens to us. There are some evil things that happen in our lives, some evil things that happen to us, and we're not necessarily called to give thanks for those things. At least that's not what Paul's calling the believers to here. He says we're to give thanks in all those things. In, in, in every circumstance that comes our way, no matter what happens, in the midst of all of that, we're to be people who model gratitude. Whatever's going on around us, whether it's good or, or whether it's bad, we're to be people who give thanks. And our lives, as a habit, are to be known for thanksgiving. The one who writes this is not someone who's, who's uh, unaware of, of pain and hardship. In fact, we see him model this for us actually in 1 Corinthians, not 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 1, if there was ever a church that, that was messed up and confused, it was the Corinthian church. This church had, had broken Paul's heart. They had wounded him and they were a mess. And yet when he writes to them, in verse 4 of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, he says this, I give thanks to my God always for you. I 
give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to me in Christ Jesus. To a church that had wounded him and to a church that had, that had broken his heart and hurt him in many, many ways, he first, one of the first things out of his mouth is, I give thanks. I give thanks to God for you. Always. We're called to give thanks in all circumstances. How do we do that? We do it because of some things that we know about God. What is the sort of the, the secret sauce, if you will, to, to being able to cultivate gratitude in our lives that, that, that sort of maintains throughout every circumstance of our life? Well, it begins with what we know about God. It begins with a regular sort of reminder of who he is and what he's like. And just a few things that we know about him that help us in regard to this. We know he's good, right? We know that God is good. The Bible declares that from start to finish. Psalm 106.1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is, he's good. He's good. His steadfast love endures forever. My circumstances at any given point might be good or they might be bad. But in every circumstance, my God is good. Do you see that? Regardless of whether my circumstances are good or bad, my God doesn't fluctuate like that. He is always and in every circumstance good. He's not an angry tyrant. He's not looking to zap me the moment, at any moment I get out of line. He's not even a neutral God who does sometimes good things and sometimes bad things. He's good and he's always at work for my good. In Romans 8, 28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So God, by nature, is good. We can bank on that. We can count on that at all times, in every circumstance. He's good. When our circumstances are good, God is good. When our circumstances are bad, God is still good. And not only is he good, but he's working out all the circumstances of my life for my good. That is everything that comes my way, the good stuff, the bad stuff, the easy stuff, the hard stuff. God is working all of that, being a good God, toward the end of my ultimate good. And so I can give thanks and then cultivate gratitude in the midst of a bad situation because I know that even though my situation is bad, my God is good and that he's working even this bad thing somehow in the end for my good. Knowing that God is good helps me to cultivate gratitude. But the Bible tells us he's loving as well, right? That helps to know that God loves us. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever foundational to the character of God is that he's a loving God. He's not foundationally angry and mean and hostile. He's foundationally a God who loves us, who loves his people with a steadfast love. In fact, the Bible declares in a very simple declarative statement, God is love. Love defines who God is. He is the one who defines what love is. He loves us. And Romans chapter 8 tells me that there's nothing as a child of God that can separate me from his love. Not height, nor depth, angels, demons, things present, things past, things in the future. Nothing. There's nothing that can separate me from his love. So God is loving. He is always loving. His steadfast love endures forever. And there's nothing in the world that happens to me, nothing that happens around me, nothing that happens in me, nothing that happens to me that can separate me from his love. So I can cultivate gratitude even in the midst of hard times because I know that God is good and that God loves me. And whatever happens, nothing can separate me from that. Nothing can change that. Nothing can affect that. The world 
may come at me in every way, but my God will never vary in his love for me. We're also told that he's sovereign, isn't he? We know that he's sovereign. The circumstances of my life, although at times they seem random and they seem out of control, the Bible declares that they're never actually out of control. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, in him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of, listen, him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God works all things according to the counsel of his will. Everything. What's included in all things? Everything. Is there anything that's outside of all things? There's nothing that's outside of all things. All things includes everything. God is sovereignly in control of all things, and he has no rival, and he has no equal, and he has no competition. In Isaiah chapter 46, he declares, he says, I am God, and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. God says, listen, I know the end from the beginning. I've charted it all out. I am sovereign over it all, over every day and every moment and every hour and every minute in between the beginning and the end. And I'm sovereign over it all, and I will absolutely accomplish my purpose. There's no, oh, there's no court that can overthrow my judgments. There is no one who can rival. There is no one who can supersede me. I will accomplish my purpose. God will accomplish his purpose in the world, and God will accomplish his purpose in your life. He is sovereign all over all of those things. And even though life feels at times and seems at, at times like it's out of control, it's never actually out of control. We may not know at any given point how a particular circumstance fits within his will, but we can be certain that it does. I can cultivate gratitude in my life when life is difficult because I believe God is sovereign. And beyond that, we know that he's with us. The Bible tells us that as well. I can cultivate gratitude in the midst of painful, hard, grievous circumstance because I know no matter how bad things get, I'm never actually alone. Even when I feel alone, I'm not alone because he's with us. Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I'm your God. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you by my righteous right hand. We don't have to live a life filled with fear and dismay at what's happening around us because he's with us. One of the most famous passages in the Bible, right? Psalm 23, in the middle of that. Even though I walk, if you know it, say it with me. Through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. You're with me. The Bible all throughout declares that God is with his people. That he doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't forsake us. And even when we feel alone, we're never alone. And so I can cultivate gratitude even in the harshest of circumstances because I know that God is with me in it and God is with me all the way through to the other side. Cultivating gratitude as a habit of our lives, giving thanks through every circumstance is built off of what we know about God. It's built off of what we know about God. God's people are to be marked by this overflowing gratitude that comes out as a, as a pattern of their life. But why? Why is this that we're to be people of gratitude? He tells us we're to be people who give thanks in all things because Paul says gratitude is God's will for us. God's will for us. 
God's will for you may be mysterious in a lot of different ways, but at least in one way, God's will is very clear. God's will for your life, I can say unashamedly today, is that you be a person who gives thanks in all things. That is God's will definitively for your life. I don't know everything about God's will for your life, but I know that part. God wills that you be a grateful person who gives thanks as a habit. You say, well, why? Why is gratitude that important? Well, in one sense, it's pretty clear. It's important because God is glorious and he's beyond measure and he deserves our gratitude. To, to refuse to be thankful to the Lord is to minimize and to belittle his goodness. It's in a sense to slap the hand that feeds us. It's to rob God the glory do his name for his wondrous works that he's done in relation to us. So to be a person who's ungrateful and to be a person who models ingratitude is really to, to, to be an offense to the glory of God. It's to rob him of the glory and honor due his name. At a base level, to refuse to be thankful is that. But in another sense, listen, gratitude and cultivating gratitude in our lives, it anchors our souls in the goodness of God and it provides for us one of the best weapons against many of the sins that we struggle with. Did you catch that? Cultivating gratitude, it anchors our hearts in the goodness of God. And it provides us with one of the best weapons we have in the battle against sin in our lives. We don't have time to flesh this out completely, but I want to sort of just give it to you in bullet point fashion. Just a sampling of, of ways that God uses the cultivation of gratitude in our, in our life to help us battle with sins that are problematic for us. You look at that list of sins, and that's just a short list of sins that I struggle with, that probably you struggle with at various times in your life. And, and there is a sense in which in every one of those sins that I struggle with, the opposite is gratitude. That if I intentionally cultivate gratitude, those things begin to fade away. Gratitude helps us deal with the issue of self-sufficiency. Because gratitude and cultivating gratitude requires an acknowledgement that we're dependent, Right? Uh, to be thankful is to recognize that, that somebody outside of me has done something good for me that I needed and that I didn't have within myself. It requires me to acknowledge that goodness is coming into my world from outside of me. And then I'm to honor and give thanks to the one who's been the giver. I am the receiver. Somebody else has provided for me. It requires sort of a humble dependence upon other people. And there's within us sort of this self-sufficient vein that wants to think of ourselves as being self-made people who take care of our own business and who, who set our own selves up for success. And, and, and we forget that we're utterly dependent upon God for everything. This was a problem for Israel in the Old Testament. And, and God warned them about this. Deuteronomy chapter 8, we had looked at this a couple of weeks ago in brief. He talks to them about going into the promised land. And he tells them, listen, your days of hardship are about to come to an end. And you're getting ready to go into a season of affluence. But you need to know that there are some great dangers that come with affluence. And here's one of the dangers in verse 18. You've got to remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you the power to get wealth. You're going to go into the land and you're going to get affluent and you're going to get wealthy and there's going to be a temptation to look around and say, man, I'm somebody. Look at what I've done and look at what I've built for myself. And you're going to forget that it's God who gives you the power to do all that, that you're utterly dependent upon him. You're going to start believing you're self-sufficient. We have gifts and we have talents and we have skills and we have accomplishments. But not one of those things in my life and in your life is self-created. It's a gift from the Lord. I didn't give myself my intellect. The Lord gave that to me. 
I didn't give myself the opportunities that have come my way in life. The Lord has given those things to me. I didn't give myself the health required to be able to do the things that I've done in my life. The Lord gave that as a gift to me. I'm utterly dependent upon him for all of those things. And, and all success in my life requires some sort of an opportunity. And I never gave myself any of those opportunities. I'm not self-sufficient. I'm dependent upon the Lord. And when I take time to cultivate gratitude in my life, I stop to give thanks to the Lord for all he's done. I'm reminded of how utterly dependent upon him I am. I, it, it blows through the illusion of self-sufficiency. Cultivating gratitude also helps me battle forgetfulness. In that same passage in Deuteronomy 8, he warns God's people, this is what's going to happen. You're going to go into the land and you're going to become wealthy and you're going to accumulate stuff for yourself. You're going to build nice homes and you're going to have everything you need. All your needs are going to be taken care of and many of your wants are going to be supplied. And what's going to happen is you're going to forget all about me, all about me. You're going to forget about me, completely forget about me. Hosea chapter 13, verse 6, tells us this, God speaking. He says, but when they grazed, they became full, they were filled, and their heart was lifted up, and they forgot me. Same thing, same thing. The problem is not just an Old Testament problem. It's a problem for God's people today, right? We get busy. We get busy with work, and we get busy with family, and we get busy with hobbies, and we get busy with just the busyness of life. And we have everything we need and so much more. We're living out of really affluence and luxury, specifically compared to the rest of the, the known world. And in the mix of all that, we just forget about God. He fades into the background. He fades into the background. But when I stop... When I stop and I intentionally cultivate gratitude in my life and I reflect on all of the goodness and kindness of God toward me, it brings into my heart a remembrance of God's kindness and his goodness and it keeps me from forgetting him. It buoys me against this sin. President Abraham Lincoln in October 3rd, 1863 said this. He actually wrote this. He said, we have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We've been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We've grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We've forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, We've become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. It seemed to me fit and proper that God should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. It's been a long time since we've heard any president talk like that right? Or any elected leader or civil leader talk like that. See, our problem is we've forgotten God and we've become too proud to pray to him and to feel that we owe him anything. Cultivating gratitude helps me battle pride. It helps me battle pride. Hey, all of us battle with pride in various ways, don't we? When pride creeps in, we, we get impressed with ourselves. We begin to fool ourselves into thinking we're responsible for our own blessings. We get puffed up just like Deuteronomy chapter 8. God warns his people this happens in our lives. 
Deuteronomy 8.17, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand has gotten me this wealth. Listen, when I cultivate gratitude, it humbles me. When I cultivate gratitude in my life, it humbles me. It reminds me that I'm dependent. It reminds me that I'm not the one who's responsible. It crushes my pride. And it humbles my heart. It reminds me that I'm nothing and he's everything. Cultivating gratitude helps me with materialism. We live in a world that's materialistic that drives us to want more and more and more and more and never be satisfied with enough. It drives us to never be content with what we have. Listen, when you stop and intentionally cultivate gratitude in your life, try this, test it and see. Intentionally pause and cultivate gratitude. Stop and reflect on all the goodness of God in your life and see if you can at one and the same time be grateful and materialistic. You can't. When you reflect on all of the goodness of God in your life, you realize the abundance that God has poured out on you. How could you ever need or want more? You can't be materialistic and grateful at the same time. Materialism drives us to not be satisfied with what we have, to not be grateful for what we've given, to always want something else. Gratitude fights in the opposite direction. Finally, gratitude helps me battle grumbling and complaining. Now, I know I'm probably the only one in the world, in the, in the room here, who has trouble with that issue, right? I mean, none of you are ever people who grumble or complain. I'm looking at you right now, and you just don't, you don't look like grumblers or complainers. You look like people who never do such awful things, right? I'm the only one that grumbles and complains when things don't go right in my life, when things don't turn out the way I want, when life brings interruptions that I haven't planned, right? I'm the only one who grumbles and complains about such things. Your laughter tells me I'm not. We might write those things off as minor sins, but if you, if you read through the scriptures, grumbling and complaining are actually major sins in the eyes of God. They're actually major sins that we blow off as nothing. If you were to go back and track Exodus chapter 15 all the way to Numbers 14, you, you, you track Moses leading God's people out to the promised land, and, and that crowd that he's leading they're constantly grumbling about something and complaining about something all the way. God delivers them. He brings them through the Red Sea. I mean, this miraculous thing. And immediately, they're grumbling and complaining about something else. And all the way over, the thing I'm convinced about Moses that's most miraculous is somehow he got to the end without just saying, God, wipe them out. Kill these people. I'm sick and tired of their grumbling and complaining. Because it seems like that's all they did. But God took it seriously. They get to the to the uh, end of that time and prepared to go in the, to the promised land. In Numbers chapter 14, God speaks to them. He says, as I live, declares the Lord, what you said in my hearing I'll do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness and of all your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me. Not one of them shall come into the land I swore that I would make you dwell think God doesn't take seriously grumbling and complaining? Killed a whole generation of people and refused to let him into his blessing simply because they grumbled and complained against him. And at heart, that's what grumbling and complaining is. It's, it's a complaint against God. It's saying, God, you haven't provided me with what I want. And so I'm grumbling and I'm complaining. What you've done is you've ripped me off, God, and given me what I don't deserve. Come on, why don't you come through with what you ought to? I deserve better. Listen, cultivating gratitude, it pushes back against our grumbling and complaining. You can't give thanks 
and at the same time grumble and complain. It won't happen. You're doing one or the other. It's God's will for us to cultivate gratitude and to be people who model thanksgiving because thanksgiving gives God the glory to his name and it helps us to battle some of the worst sins that we fight against all the time. Maybe a strategy in your life for your sanctification might be to stop trying to fight these sins per se and start cultivating gratitude and see the effect that that has on those things. You say, well, how do we do this? Well, there's only one way to do it. And he says, he says it, it's in Christ Jesus. It's a simple phrase. God's will for your life is to give thanks in all things in Christ Jesus. The only way that gratitude becomes the pattern and habit of your life is when you're in a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and his power dwells within you to help you in that endeavor. You cannot in your flesh consistently give thanks in all things. You will not do it. It won't happen. It only comes from a recognition that I am needy and dependent, that I'm a sinner whose sin has violated the holiness of my creator. And that, that, that because of my sin against my creator, his wrath is turned toward me, not his friendship. And that I'm accountable to him, and I'm going to have to stand before him and give an account for my life. And the Bible tells us that the wages of my sin, that is the payment that's due for my rebellion, is an eternal death apart from him. And that my only hope is that I would look to Christ Jesus, the Son of God who came in human flesh, who died on a Roman cross, shed his blood, paid the price for my sin, took all of my sin and my selfishness and my ingratitude upon himself on the cross, and he paid the price for it in his own death was buried and rose the third day, defeating death and hell and the grave, and who stands before me right now with an arm outstretched saying, if you'll just place your trust in me, I'll forgive your sin. I'll wipe the slate clean. And I'll come to dwell within you. And I will give you a power from the inside that you do not have to be able to accomplish what I call you to accomplish. Specifically in this case, to be consistently grateful consistently grateful. Our only hope is to trust Christ and to look to the Lord Jesus Christ for help and to look to his power that works within us to desire and to do the thing that he calls us to do, but it requires some effort. We don't drift into gratitude. You don't drift into a pattern of gratitude in your life. It has to be cultivated in your life. There's intentional effort, like in every spiritual discipline, to build this up in your life. How do you do that? Well, Worship helps. Gathering with God's people and worshiping God and being reminded of his immensity and his goodness and his kindness. It helps us cultivate gratitude. Worshiping alone in your car or wherever you happen to be also accomplishes the same thing. Worship is one of the things that helps us cultivate gratitude. Prayer helps us cultivate gratitude. Guarding our thoughts and guarding our words, building into our life habits of guarding those things is helpful in cultivating gratitude. Paying attention to what I say, and when I begin to think grumbling and complaining things, I don't let those words come out of my mouth. I do what he told the Ephesians to do, and I replace it with thanksgiving. Or maybe I take a gratitude journal. I don't know what the strategy is you need to build in your life, but I'll tell you this, God's will for you is that you give thanks in all things. In all things. It's to overflow in your life. And if you as God's people will begin to do that, the world will see something different. You look at Facebook today and read what people post, and I guarantee you, you don't see, hardly at all, people overflowing with Thanksgiving or Twitter or anywhere else for that matter. If you begin to do that, you'll, you'll catch notice. 
One of my favorite football coaches of all time is Tony Dungy. You probably heard me talk about him before. He coached the Indianapolis Colts. He played for the Pittsburgh Steelers and won a Super Bowl a number of years ago when he was coaching. His 18-year-old son, James, died by suicide. It's a tragic thing, unimaginable. I can't imagine a grief or a pain or a circumstance worse for any parent than to get that call that your own son is dead at his own hand. Tony Dungy's a Christian. He's a believer. He walks with the Lord, and he has a genuine walk. And one of the marks of that is his life overflows with thanksgiving. He stood over the casket of his son in front of a congregation at a funeral service and hear the words that flowed out of his mouth. He said, I just, I just want to first of all start out by saying thank you. Thank you for the love and the prayers and the support that we've received from the people of Tampa, the people of Indianapolis, and people all over the country. They've been very, very great and gracious to us in a time of grief for our family. We loved our son very much. He loved us, and we miss him terribly. But we also understand that we have some tremendous promises from God, and God promises to be with us, and he is with us in the great times, and he's with us in the tough times. And our family will stand strong. The strength that we have in the Lord will allow us to get through this just as we get through times of victory. Our grief is great, but from our family, we just say thank you. We say thank you to everyone. We appreciate everybody that's touched his life, everybody that's been part of him growing up. James was a good young man with a compassionate heart, and we were glad to have him for 18 years. We're also glad that he accepted Christ as his savior so that God has him now for the rest of eternity. Thank you. What does it look like to be a person who gives thanks in all circumstances? That's what it looks like. What about you? Maybe you're facing something tragic like that, but what about the small things in life? When other people look at our lives, we have to ask the question, do they see? pattern of gratitude. If not, it's a sin for which we have to repent this morning. And we pray that not just this week, but every week, we would be people who truly give thanks in all things. Let's pray. Lord, giving thanks in all things is hard. It's hard. It doesn't come natural to us. What comes natural is complaining and griping. What comes natural to us is fear and anxiety and worry and anger. What comes natural to us is materialism and self-sufficiency, pride. But we need your help, Lord. You've called us to be a people who cultivate gratitude, who model thanksgiving for a world around us. Lord, I pray that you would help this congregation, all those within the earshot this morning. You would help us to live this this week, but not just this week, every week. That our words that people hear would be words of gratitude and thanksgiving that our life would model thanksgiving in the good times and in the hard times. And that you would use our thanksgiving to show your glory to the nations and to all who hear us and see us. Help us with this, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name.